turn our Bibles today to Joshua and chapter 24. Joshua and chapter 24. And in these five sermons on covenant renewal, we want to pull out one dimension of covenant renewal. And today we're thinking of covenant renewal as a formal commitment, a formal commitment. The Reformed Presbyterian Church is known by various names. One of them is Covenanters. Perhaps you ask why that is a common term for the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. It's certainly not because it's a more manageable term, a shorter term. There is a a deeper and a fuller reason for this. One aspect of the reason why we are called covenanters is that we believe covenanting with God is a spiritual discipline to be engaged in by individuals by congregations, by denominations, and by nations. That is, in addition to making our public profession of faith when we join a congregation, individuals or congregations can add to that commitment in covenant renewal. On occasions we renew our commitments to the Lord and a fresh covenant promise of allegiance, love, and service. And it's this spiritual discipline that we are engaging in in September as a congregation. Some couples renew their marriage vows, don't they? Perhaps after an extreme illness, or an infidelity, or an anniversary, or a promotion, or the birth of another grandchild in their family, they will come together and renew their marriage vows. So covenanting in the Reformed Presbyterian Church, one dimension of it is explained by us as believers renewing our commitments to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Many of us seek a commitment to our Lord each day. Perhaps it suits us to do our private devotions in the morning and we pull out some thought from our private devotions and we pray over this, seeking the grace of Christ in that day to fulfill that injunction from God's word. If you do your devotions in the evening, perhaps you reflect on your behavior that day, seek forgiveness or thankfulness, and you prepare for the next day with a commitment to some strand from your evening devotions. The Sabbath day allows us to reflect on our Christian life, and some make a fresh commitment at the start of the week to their Lord and Saviour on the Sabbath day. Communion is a quarterly opportunity for us as a congregation to reflect on our lives and recommit ourselves 
to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And covenant renewal ties in with the daily, the weekly, the quarterly commitments of ourselves to Jesus Christ. As a a congregation, we seek to once again, once more, in a fresh and in a new way, commit ourselves to the ways and principles and love of Jesus Christ. There are 10 historical instances of covenant renewal found in the Bible emphasizing its importance for us as God's people. Two in the life of Moses, two in the life of Joshua, four in the experience of the kings of Judah, and two in the post-exilic world of Ezra and Nehemiah. Today we come to, to think of this one in the experience of Joshua in chapter 24. You will have noticed that he made a covenant in verse 25 with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them. I have five relatively uh, brief points for, for the note takers uh, this morning. The first is, they're not alliterated, uh, by the way, the first is the preamble to the covenant as we think of the covenant being a, a formal commitment. In Joshua's world, covenanting was a common thing, as we'll see uh, in our sermon today. And there was a common format for covenanting. And Joshua chapter 24 follows that common format of covenanting. And the first element in the Hittite covenant treaties which surrounded the people of Israel was the preamble in verses 1 and 2a. Then this preamble issues like the setting of the covenant and the, the parties of the covenant would be identified. This is what we have here in verses 1 and 2a. The setting of this covenant is in Shechem. This was the, the place of worship before Jerusalem, before Shiloh, the place where the people of God gathered for worship, where the tabernacle was set up, was in Shechem. And it was at that place that this covenant renewal ceremony took place. Uh, or Clark uh, Trevor has been working on a history of Knockbracken congregation, uh, and in his research, he has come across uh, an original covenant renewal document from around 1853, I think is the date. And before we have the wording of the covenant and the signatures of the, of the people who signed the covenant, there is the, the date and the setting of the covenant. And this is what we have in verses 1 and 2a. The setting is in Shechem. The 18th of September in Newtonards is the setting which we propose for signing the covenant here. And how wonderful it would be for us if that was a special moment in our experience. 
A time and a place that, that we look back to with fondness and gratitude. It was a turning point in our life of commitment to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The parties, the great king is mentioned in verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Ancient treaties included the name of the suzerain, the king, the, the, the despot who was bringing this covenant to the vassal state, the one who was superior, the one who had the power. This, this was not a, a, an agreement of equals. This was not two parties like Laban and Jacob, successful farmers agreeing on grazing rights and land. This covenant format emphasizes that there is a superior in this agreement and an inferior. The great king is dictating the terms. It's not that the, the state who has been conquered or delivered comes to bargain and negotiate and come to an arrangement round the table with the suzerain. Rather, the great king speaks and his rules and terms are to be accepted and committed to by the other party. And here in this covenant renewal and in our covenant renewal, the Lord our God is speaking, setting out the terms, the regulations, the rules for us. Thus, his people, we recognize his terms. We acknowledge his laws. We bow the knee to Jesus Christ. We don't reject his ways like society. We don't explain away his legislation like the Church of Scotland. We don't oppose his positions as many do. But with gratitude, with humility, as those who have been touched by the grace of God and the love of Christ, we come with willingness before our sovereign king. I was never into netball. Wouldn't say I'm overly into netball. It's been hard to avoid netball in this past week if you own a TV or turn the TV on. But Ruth has explained that the rules of netball and that game, which to me was uninteresting, obscure, random throwing about of a ball on a court, has become incredibly fascinating, beautiful, ordered, skillful, amazing. This Christ people, we love his laws. We know they're the best thing for our lives. We seek to delight in them. We want to follow them. And in our covenant renewal, we bow down our knee before our King and recommit ourselves unto Him. The preamble gives the setting and the King. Secondly, the largest part of the, the Hittite Treaty, the treaties common in Joyce's day, was the historical record. This is verse 2b to 13. 
and in the historical record of this treaty and, and any treaty, the relationship between the great king and the vassal state is set out. Often it has the record of the, the great king conquering the vassal state or delivering the vassal state. Perhaps it will have some acts of kindness and power by the great king towards the vassal state. That it has provided food for them. It has provided deliverance for them. It has provided economic stimulation for them. In the historical record, the actions of the great king, often the power and the goodness of the ruler will be set out. And so it is here. Verses 2b to 13. God's actions towards his people, his Old Testament church before Egypt in verses 2 to 4. He called Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. Broke into their lives in sovereign grace and called them from paganism to be his people. And then in Egypt in verses 5 to 7. Despite their slavery, he overcame their mighty enemies and brought them deliverance. What a God this is. This is the God to whom the people are committing themselves. It's a response to his grace, to his redemption that's happening here. Then in verses 8 to 13, after Egypt, on the east side of the Jordan with those kings, and then on the west side of the Jordan in the land of Canaan, God has been working overcoming the enemies of his people. He has called them. He has delivered them. He has conquered their enemies. In verse 3 we read, I took. Verse 4, I gave. Verse 5, I sent. I plagued. I brought. I gave. Verse 8, I destroyed. Verse 12, I sent. The great king has shown compassion, power, love, deliverance, forgiveness, calling towards this people. Then covenant renewal will respond to the actions of the great king, to his power, to his grace. Verse 12 that we've thought of with the children does contain this un- unusual phrase, I sent the hornet. Some take it to be literal wasps uh, sent down into the land of Canaan to terrorize uh, the people. Some take it to be a-, a metaphor of the land of Egypt who ruled over Canaan at this time. Others take it to be a, a symbol as it is in Exodus 23 of terror. God brought terror Upon the inhabitants of Canaan. They were weakened by crossing the Red Sea and the Jordan River and the fall of the Jericho walls. But whichever we're to understand, we were to understand it, it's God who sent. He's acting on behalf of his people. See verse 12b. It was not by your sword or by your bow. This is a crucial element. Of covenant renewal for us. There is a card uh, available for us as we come to to sign uh, the covenant renewal uh, with the commitments on it. 
And, and the card is a wee bit misleading, even though I belong to the committee, which uh, sorted all this out. Uh, <coughs> yes, uh, it just has our duties. And these might, might scare most of us. But that is not the emphasis of this chapter. The emphasis of this chapter is on what God has done. On his grace, his redemption, his love. He has called, he has blessed, he has protected, he has provided. And so perhaps on the, the back of this document, which is blank, we can write down ourselves God's gracious work towards us. As we come to sign our covenant renewal, our hands should not be trembling with fear of failure, but our hearts should be filled with gratitude for grace. Psalm 145 verses 5 to 7 sets the the right approach, doesn't it? On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and sing aloud of your righteousness. The preamble, the historical record, a focus on the grace and power of God. And then thirdly, the stipulations in verse 14. Now come the the, the requirements, the duties for us that this was common in the the Hittite covenant document. After the preamble, the historical record was the rules and regulations, the do's and and the do-nots, the taxes to be paid, the duration and age of the conscription into the military, the the religious observances uh, to be followed. And so here, in verses 14, we have in two words a summary of the stipulations of this covenant to fear the Lord and to serve the Lord to fear and to serve and as we come to covenant renewal this summarizes for us the response we're to give and we want to give to fear and to serve our Lord And doesn't these two summary statements complete the response of our hearts to God? We generally understand ourselves to be composed of mind and heart and will, of thoughts and emotions and actions. And these two statements, they complete this understanding of a wholehearted response to God. The mind has been addressed in the historical record dwelling on thinking of God's grace and power towards us in his son Jesus Christ. And now we come to the emotions. Fearing the Lord. 
Our response to God is to be more than an intellectual grasping and understanding of the facts and details of the gospel and of history. But we are to be moved by this. We're to fear the Lord. There's to be respect there. There's to be awe there. There's to be love there. There's to be trust there. This is a a summary phrase for for the response to, to God's grace. We fear the Lord. We're moved by this. We're pulled in in our emotions and in our feelings to the revelation of the grace and power of God. And we serve him. This is the dominant word in chapter 24. It occurs 24 times. Serving the Lord. And one prominent feature emphasized in this chapter of serving the Lord is exclusivity. We only serve him. The writer mentions God's before Egypt and God's in Egypt and God's after Egypt. There's God's all around and sometimes within the Old Testament church. But here's a call at this time to serve the Lord only. The North Covenant renewal. We're being called to this wholehearted commitment. To our Savior. Part of the covenant document includes these words to submit to the kingship of Jesus in every aspect of life, in particular in the areas of sexuality, identity, marriage, the sanctity of life. And the Sabbath day to serve him and him alone to bow the knee to Jesus in these areas. To allow it to affect our minds to understand identity and sanctity of life. But to be affected by it in our hearts. To love his law, to fear him and then to work it out in our life. Not just to know the Bible teaching that there's to be no sex before marriage, but to do it. Not just knowing that male and female gender is determined by God at the moment of birth, but working that out in our workplace and our life. Husbands loving their wives. All of us valuing life at its beginning and at its end, serving the Lord. The fourth element is rewards and threats for obedience and disobedience, verses 19 to 21. The Hittite treaties included those. The great king would come down like a ton of bricks on any treason, insurrection, rebellion among the vassal states, And here, Joshua includes this warning in verse 19. If you don't serve the Lord, if you don't bow your knee to him, he will do you harm. The book of Judges records for us the reality of that warning. 
As the people turned away from God, he chastened them. He did them harm. Maybe you'll say to the elders as we come to the 18th of September, well, you know, this covenant renewal thing, I'm just not ready for that. There's things in my life that I need to sort out. I'm just not ready to sign that document of covenant renewal yet. That's very honest. But it's very dangerous. He will do you harm. And the witnesses, lastly, Joshua, he he says, see these stones here, they've heard what you've said today and promising allegiance. The congregation have witnessed your covenant renewal, he says, and he writes it down in a book, perhaps the book of Joshua, or perhaps another book that we don't have. The record was written there. And so for us, these walls will witness what we do in September. The minutes will record in our session book, Covenant Renewal, on the 18th of September. And your signature, it will be there. Every week we come into church. We see the documents hanging on the wall. And see our name appended to it. It'll be speaking to us. And it'll be saying, Joe, John, James, Mary, Martha, Molly. Keep following me. Keep serving me. Keep loving me.